your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators podcast. Welcome inside episode 256 of the Locked On Senators podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar up in Collingwood. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your first order. Well, the Ottawa Senators improved to 5 14-1 on the season with a 3-2 overtime win against the hated Montreal Canadiens. If you're scoring at home, that's two wins in three games against their cross-provincial rivals, and they'll have an opportunity to get right back at it against them on Tuesday night. We'll break down the entire game. Tons, maybe the most central standouts we've had in a single game. The team was buzzing outside of the second period, overtime especially. We'll get into all that. We also have a very special guest. Tough circumstances, but great chat with Anthony Fusco. He's been the play-by-play voice of the Brampton Beast over the past three seasons. You probably heard the news this week. The Beast have ceased operations. The pandemic just making it unfeasible economically. So tough news there, but great conversation. Looking back on the Beast and specifically his thoughts on a pair of Senators goalies who have spent time in that organization. Then finally, we've got a great debate for you. Chris Neal, number retired or nah? All that and more. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. Today is Monday, February 22nd in Pilsy. Once again, I would like to take this opportunity to thank Mark Bergevin and the Montreal Canadiens for passing on Brady Kachuk in the 2018 draft. That is franchise altering. And for two rivals to have two draft picks that high and close together, that we're going to be talking about this for the next decade. And in the same vein, Ross, if we're thanking Mark Bergevin for not taking Brady Kachuk, how about a quick round of applause for Pierre Dorian not taking Philip Sedina, like ourselves included, and a lot of Sens fans were calling and preaching for Brady Kachuk was clearly the right pick, and he shows it. He always shines in Montreal. He's got three goals, three assists in 10 games, two of those goals game winners. Yeah, I won't say that last night's was better than his first OT game winner where he went backhand talk past Carey Price on a breakaway, but this goal had its own beauty. They had dominated the extra frame. Connor Brown missed on a breakaway, but then the next shift, it was Batherson, Brandstrom, and Brady Kachuk. So the kid's getting an opportunity on the extra ice. And what does Brady do? He uses that extra ice to come out of the from behind the net, looks for the pass. I thought he should have shot it initially, but the pass across to Batherson gets blocked. Puck comes right back to him. This was a game that we'll get into, featured many fortuitous bounces if you're a Sens fan. And it's about time that this team got some puck luck, but... The puck goes right back onto his stick. He makes no mistake and gets the two points for Ottawa. What a selly to boot, eh, Pilsy? 
You gotta love that Sully. Yeah, the pictures from that Sully were sick. And that was, Brady Kachuk had an even better chance in OT, a breakaway all alone. And Jake Allen with the two pad stack stops him. And then Connor Brown, like you mentioned, he had a breakaway. He hit, he had an amazing wrist shot that rang off the post in OT too. Like that was my locked on player. And he was a guy to be locked on for sure. Three breakaways for Connor Brown. And like, I'm not, there's, there's no jokes or sarcasm here whatsoever. Connor Brown needs to spend half an hour, an hour after practice, just breakaways on breakaways and breakaways. Try stupid deeks, do stuff that is not going to work. Try anything other than a low blocker side shot with no side to side movement. When you're all alone on a goalie, that's got to change. Yeah. The next breakaway he does better have some sort of deke because he just comes in. You're right. Doesn't change the angle at all. And just, fires a wrist shot and not to pick on him but I don't think those shots have been necessarily hard either yeah and that's the thing and if you're a goalie holy shit you've seen the tape on this a million times how many Connor Brown breakaways can you watch where he's doing the same thing I wouldn't be shocked if Connor Brown has the most breakaways in the league like honestly he probably does Credit to Connor Brown, though, for creating those breakaways, especially his first one in this game. A great stick lift at the defensive blue line was able to take it in all alone. It's just a matter of converting. Like, you look at the stats, the team stats, and Connor Brown's fourth in team scoring right now. He could easily be first if he just scored on half of those breakaways. But let's get back to the star of last night's game, Brady Kachuk, the team leader in points. No surprise there. He was all over the ice well before that OT winner. He had eight shots on goal, five hits, which ho-hum for a Brady Kachuk game, but over 20 minutes of ice time led all sends forwards in that category, playing four seconds more than Connor Brown, who's typically ahead of him in, in there. So you look at just what he brings at both ends of the ice. He was, he was creating havoc, and whatever line he's on seems to go, and that happened last night as well with Josh Norris scoring his fourth goal of the game, assisted by Kachuk and Zaitsev, both of those guys, seventh assist of the season. But man, oh man, let's talk about those lucky bounces, not only on Josh Norris's one-handed deflection, but on Drake Batherson's goal too. Sure, he makes a great move, but both of those goals go up and over the head of Jake Allen. Yeah, that's tough if you're Jake Allen because he he's in position for both those goals. He plays it pretty well, but just gets the poor puck luck there. And uh, quickly on Batherson's goal, Thank goodness Stepan didn't ruin that. If he would have got his stick on there, that would have been a high sticking and that's no goal. So thank goodness Stepan's uh, hand-eye coordination is not what it used to be because that allowed that goal to happen. And I thought Drake had a great game too. How about that breakaway chance? What Connor Brown, get on the ice with Drake Batherson and Artem Zub after practice because that was a sick breakaway move by Drake. That could have won the game with like a minute and a half left, but credit to Jake Allen. He was right there and got the stop. That's a move we've seen once, twice, maybe 10 times down in Belleville over the last couple seasons. Great to see Drake's confidence growing. For the record, I did not put a prop on a three-point night for Drake Batherson at Bet Online, but he had a pair of points, him and Brady both with two points apiece. Now, I also want to get to DJ Smith's usage of his defenseman, especially interesting considering that the workhorse, Thomas Shabbat, missed last night's game. He was a game-time decision, but will be in the lineup by all accounts, tomorrow night, which will be a huge addition. We'll get into who could come out of that lineup. But one other lineup change up front 
was the addition of Michael Haley. And you already shake your head that he's getting into the lineup, but what's the point of playing a guy three minutes and 30 seconds in a game that goes to overtime? It just seems like you're giving away a roster spot and it's not helping at all. Yeah, it that is a complete head scratcher for me. Like I when it was announced that Haley was going to play, I sort of was like, okay, you're going up against a gritty Montreal team. Seems like Perry's going to play, so you want some grit to combat that. But Michael Haley, he's other than his fighting ability, he's pretty much straight up useless. And I'm I it's tough to say that, but I really thought when they signed him that he was going to be the bruiser in Belleville, taking care of uh, the kids down there, making sure no one tried to take advantage of uh, too many young guys inexperienced and maybe not enough toughness. So that's why I thought that was a decent signing, but to throw him into an NHL game for three minutes, especially when you've got a guy in Matthew Pekka who showed that he can perform on a fourth line wing role really well. And this would have been a revenge game for Pekka too, the oh, former yeah. uh, Montreal Canadian. So I just don't understand why you don't get him in there because this is a young team as it is. You need as many useful roster spots as possible. You can't be wasting any. So that was a real head scratcher to me. And I hope that we don't see any more of Haley unless we get to a point where there's like a five game series and things are go- getting off the rails. And then the fifth game, you bring him in there just to just to send a message or to make sure things are okay. But other than that, there's no explanation for why Michael Haley is getting uh, times in an Ottawa Center's uniform. He did make me laugh in last night's game. So I tweeted out Michael hilarious because he was trying to mix it up after a whistle, just grabbed the first guy looked up and it was Shea Weber. And then he just let go and went to go grab Ben Sherrod instead. He's like, nah, I'm not climbing that man mountain at all. And then the next shift and you're thinking maybe he got in for that revenge on Ben Sherrod, who was kind of taking his, his toll on Tim Stutzla and, in the last time these two teams met, but there was a play that next shift where Ben Chirac kind of chips it out of his zone. And you're looking like if that was Chris Neal, and we'll get to the Chris Neal debate later in the show, he would have completely demolished Chirac in the corner. But Haley just kind of like doesn't even rub him out, just like kind of hits him a little bit and goes on. Like you're not in the lineup to play defense. You're in the lineup to create havoc. And I thought that was an opportunity where he could have done it, but didn't. So Good riddance to Michael Haley. He's been sent to the taxi squad uh, in a corresponding move. Artem Anisimov back into the everyday lineup. We'll we'll see. Like eight shifts, three thirty-two. Wait, way to go, dude. Uh, we'll see if he gets back in the lineup. This it's just kind of like a rotating carousel of players that I don't care to see really. Yeah, well, but in, in that case, why not get a guy like Pekka who, in his one showing seemed to be all right and created offense and wasn't a defensive liability. Like why not mix that in? Like why, why go back to the, the well of crappy fourth line wingers that don't do you anything good when you have a decent option? Well, you also have Alex Formanton who doesn't have another game in Belleville for 10 days. So why doesn't he get into the lineup? These are all questions that become magnified in losses, but that's not the case last night. However, for the 16th time in 20 games, Pilsy, the Senators are allowing the first goal. This time, it only took a minute and 17 seconds. Was it a nice goal? Sure. Suzuki off the post and in on a, a rush. Didn't really even have a chance to set up in the offensive zone. So you can't blame that on poor D-zone coverage. But how can they get through the first two minutes of a game without allowing a goal? 
I don't know. It just it seems like uh, Lalim's Martians got his Sens sicko bingo card. The Sens allowing a goal in the first minute and a half of a game seems like a free space there because every time it happens and sometimes it's the goalie's faults. We've seen a lot of poor performances early in the season from Matt Murray, especially letting in poor goals to start games. But now Matt Murray's found his stride like I'm confident that Matt Murray can give this team a chance to win every single night he's in the crease at this point. His numbers have been great uh, the past six, eight games, other than when he he got thrown in when Hogberg got hurt, and then that Leafs game was absolutely wild. But other than that, I thought he's played well, and he's given this uh, team a chance to win. And the Sens, you know what? Maybe it's a good thing they're learning these lessons now, how to how to play down one nothing early, because you have to learn how to play in those positions and you have to learn not to let it deflate you and just kill all the momentum. So kudos to the Sens for bouncing back. And it's man, it's so nice talking about a victory, especially up against the Habs. So you got to love it. An OT winner, Brady Kachuk. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Let's move to the defensive aspect of the Sens game. So Braden Coburn comes in to replace Thomas Shabbat. And already I'm going, huh? Isn't Christian Willannon just available for you? I know he hasn't played well recently. I think even his biggest supporters would admit, even me, he would probably look in the mirror and say, man, I need to be better. Lots of careless giveaways, especially in that Leaf series. But Braden Coburn, that's the answer. And not only to get into the lineup, but Pilsy, he played 25 shifts. 17-23, that's a top four role on this back end. How do you go from the taxi squad to a top four defenseman? Was this just a situation where Pierre Dorian took away DJ Smith's toy after he got put in the spin cycle by Pugliarvi? That was the last time Coburn played. Minus three in Edmonton, and that on the wrong end of that highlight reel goal. But then he comes back in. I'm just shocked that he got so much opportunity. Yeah, it is surprising. I think part of that, I didn't really love Zub's game. I thought he was kind of struggling a little. So with uh, Zub not playing great, then you're going to take some ice time from him. I didn't think Coburn played that bad, though. Like, I can't think of... A couple giveaways. But, like, he's played worse. That's for sure. So, like, I don't think it was a detriment uh, to this team. But, yeah, certainly a head-scratcher when you've got a guy like uh, Willan and Reddy here. But, hey... Ended up working out, so I guess uh, we can't really say much in that aspect. Yeah, you mentioned Zub. Uh, he played 14.06, 5 on 5. I'm, I'm doing all these numbers 5 on 5 now. Brantstrom played the least at 11 minutes and 6 seconds. He also had the second most power play time, sure. But that might have been Eric Brantstrom's best game as an Ottawa Senator. Would you agree? Absolutely, I would agree. And, hey, you don't have to hear it from me. A lot of uh, Brandstrom faders and haters coming out of the woodwork on Twitter. And I've been saying it all along. This guy is in your top five of prospects for sure. I would even, I'd go as far to say that he's your number three prospect behind Sanderson and Stutzla because the skill that this guy has when he's got it, like that end-to-end rush where he danced through the entire Montreal team and then ended up drawing a hooking penalty if he didn't draw that hooking penalty, that's a nice pass to Austin Watson, and that's probably a good goal. So that's amazing job of generating offense. I thought his skating was on full display. Uh, this is a guy that I wish when Thomas Shabbat is out, hand the keys over to Eric Branstrom. He should be on that top power play unit instead of Mike Riley, especially because Mike Riley played a lot of minutes in that game, which... We've gone over it over and over. We do not want Mike Riley creeping up over the 20-minute mark, and that's what happened there. 25-32 for Mike Riley. No surprise that he 
along with Coburn and Eric Branstrom, led the team with three giveaways apiece. But yeah, I did not think that was one of Mike Riley's better games. And he had been playing better. You can credit where it's due, but that wasn't one of his best games. Zaitsev, on the other hand, he's, he's just proving to be a steady, reliable presence. I don't think that contract, as it stands right now, is an issue at all. I think that I've, I've really enjoyed his game so far this season. So you really get to see what you have in the rest of the decor when you take out the NHL's ice time leader in Thomas Shabbat, but Shabby can't get back into this lineup soon enough at the same time. So really excited. It looks like Tuesday for Shabbat. We'll confirm on tomorrow's show. We also have Ian Mendez coming up later in the week, but I thought this was great from his article today. Will Lannan, Brandstrom, Shabbat have never played an NHL game together. Were you surprised to hear that? I was shocked. I mean, this is that's kind of before the Sens drafted Sanderson and Clevin. That was kind of your left side lock for defensemen, right? You had Shabbat, top guy, Brandstrom, hopefully second guy, and then Willannon, hopefully third guy, especially kind of in the immediate future. Like those are the guys that are ready. And it's crazy that just coincidences, injuries, call-ups, all these kind of things have happened that those guys have not shared the NHL ice together. They and they didn't have a chance last night with Shabbat Hurt and Willannon not in the lineup. So maybe Tuesday's game will be the first time we see that trio. Well, tomorrow's another opportunity for us to see that trio in action. We know that Evgeny Dadnov will be in the lineup, and it'll be game 301 for him as we have some stick taps to hand out for Dadnov reaching the 300 NHL game milestone. And to do it at age 31 seems kind of kind of strange, but, you know, he played those three years in, in Florida, left for, what, five, six years, and then came back, and now he's on his second tour of duty in the National Hockey League, looking great, looking confident. However, Whoa, now may as well be the time because he's a big part of the power play. Oh, for their last 24 now, Pilsy. What's going on? Like, I we've covered this ad nauseum, but there's just not getting the puck in the net. I thought their puck movement was a lot better. They had a lot of chances on multiple power plays, but do you think this is a situation where once the dam breaks and they get one that will start rolling here? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I would say last night, Pretty uh, like overall, I was okay with how their power play performed. They, I really love that uh, tic tac toe play, toe play where it's, I think Batherson gets it to Kachuk at the side of the net, and then Kachuk one touch passes it to Dadanov in the slot. If they can get the puck moving around enough and get the the Canadians defenders spaced out enough and make that play work, it's gonna be a beauty. It's similar. Like, basically, think about the the goal that Grizz scored in 2017, uh, Clark MacArthur in the playoff series, right? That tic-tac-toe right out front of the net and buries it. So that's what they're trying to do there. And I think if they can get that working, that'll be a great play. But I liked this power play opportunities much more than any of the other nights we've seen so far. So they're getting there. They're getting there. So you're saying they're due on Tuesday. <laughs> no, you're saying they're due every single power play opportunity they get. I'm just setting it up for the I told you so when they inevitably score. Hopefully sometime before the end of this season, you know we'll be fired up on this show. Make sure you subscribe to Locked On Senators wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter for tweets just like that and a whole lot more at Send Central. All right, Pilsy, looking forward to our chat with Anthony Fusco coming up in minutes, but we have to hand out our Send Central standouts. We already touched on Brady Kachuk, but I don't think you can overstate how great it is having him as a hero for Ottawa and a villain 
for Montreal because this guy is the perfect villain. Not only did Montreal take Jesperi Kock and Niemi, sick vision, yeah, 32% in the face-off circle last night. That's why they got him, right? They needed a centerman. Well, you can't win face-offs, so what's the point? But you look at what Brady brings outside the game in the locker room. I'm sure he's or this is his team, is what I'm getting at. Is he going to be the next captain? Has your opinion changed yet on Brady Kachuk? Look, I, I don't want uh, people to get this twisted. I would be stoked. I would be elated if Brady Kachuk got the captain and he can do a damn good job. But I'm still on the side of I would like to see Thomas Shabbat with the C. The, the level the level-headedness is so important I think and not again not that Brady couldn't level it out but I just want Brady out there being Brady not worrying about anything else it's just games like this where I, I just see him as the guy this is his team that he puts them on his back every single night and I just think it has to be recognized with the seat on the front of his jersey also what's another good trait from a captain? Making your teammates better. Josh Norris, another Sense Central standout for me. He was my locked-on player to watch. And the way him and Brady are gaining chemistry, I think one of DJ Smith's most productive moves this year, and not every minute they've played together, but I'd say what? About 80% of Josh Norris's five-on-five minutes this year have been alongside Brady Kachuk. This is going to be a line that moves in the, in the future together. You, you don't see a situation where these two are ever broken up. Yeah, I mean, Brady and Josh Norris, they're best friends. They're, that's why uh, that was a big piece of bringing Josh Norris in here. And the chemistry is obvious. I mean, those uh, man, we still got to get some footage of inside that house of Timmy Stutzla, Brady, and Josh Norris. That's got to be just hilarious. Hopefully some of that comes out later this year. But I would say, Ross, our top two lines for the Ottawa Senators are pretty much written in pen. Maybe not in Sharpie yet, but you've got Kachuk, Norris, Brown. And then Paul White, Dadinoff, those lines are clicking. The chemistry is good. They're producing offensively. The young guys have a veteran mixed in there to kind of stabilize them. I think those top six are going to be set for quite a while. It's the bottom six that still needs a little bit of tinkering here. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of interchangeable pieces on the bottom six. But what I love most about Josh Norris, to finish my point on him, is, is his improvement in the faceoff circle. I keep going back to it, but possession never been more important in the National Hockey League when this game just moves so fast. So when Josh Norris is in there winning and he won eight out of 12 last night, he had one off night, the last game against Toronto where he was 41%, but then his percentages in the last five games, 53%, 81%, 75%, 58%, 53%, 57%, 66%, This guy is every night snapping back more than he's losing. Yeah, he's getting better in the face-off dot for sure. And guys, Quick tip, I did it this morning. I would suggest you run to betonline.ag right now. Josh Norris Calder Memorial Trophy odds at plus 1,600. And he Whoa. is tied. Don't look now, but he's tied with Pia Suter at 11 rookie points. That's something you're going to want to jump on before those odds get screwed because we told you about Timmy. I got in at Timmy at betonline.ag for Calder odds at plus 2,000. He's at plus 500 now. So wow. jump on that train before you lose out on a bunch of money. That's unreal. Other standouts, we already talked about Drake Batherson and Eric Brandstrom. Timmy Stutzla just showing those electric hands. He just gets you at the edge of your seat. Timmy Superstar, as he is. Matt Murray, though, our final Sen Central standout. What can you say from him, especially in the second period? Natural Statrick had the scoring chances. 10-1 Montreal in the second period. No goals against. How huge was that for Murray's confidence? 
Massive. And not only Murray's confidence, I'm going to expand that the team's confidence because as a team, especially young guys, you need to be confident and trust your goalie. Now, anyone can say in an interview, yeah, we trust him. He's our guy, blah, blah, blah. But to really feel that and to mean that means something different. And that's what's going to allow you to get those offensive chances, the breakaways where you're willing to cheat a little, get a guy behind the other team's defense. And maybe you don't get that pass and turns over and it's an odd rush the other way. Whatever. You got Matt Murray in the in the crease to stand tall, and he's been standing tall. Most of the goals he's allowed recently were not his fault or just he's a victim of a really good offensive play the other way. Now I do have one more sense central standout though. No points on the board, but Nick Paul played a really good game. I mean, this guy was buzzing. What I love about Nick Paul is the hustle. I, I was, uh, I was drooling over that, uh, that penalty kill goal that he got a little while ago because it's all about the hustle in his play. And he's the kind of guy where, you know, they say good character is what you do when no one's watching. He's that kind of guy when it maybe there's not a great scoring opportunity or it's just him all alone. He's still hustling. The other guys on his line have changed. He's still out there grinding. So I just want to give a quick shout out to Nick, Nick Paul, because five shots on goal, three hits. Pretty nice game for him there. Sens win 3-2 in overtime. And as far as we're concerned, their record on the season is 4-4 four and four now, Pilsy. 2-1 and one against Montreal, 2-3 and three against Toronto and tomorrow night they'll have a chance to go above 500 against their two rivals this is how we're breaking down the season right five wins on the year but four of them against the two teams whose fan bases are most in I'm sure our lives as much as yours as a Senators fan especially for us here in the heart of enemy territory but it's in enemy territory that Ottawa has had their ECHL team for the past few seasons and fortunately that is no longer no clue what is to come, but what happened was that the Brampton Beasts had to cease their operation. They'd been in, they've been a team since 2013. They joined the ECHL in 2014 and in 2017, Anthony Fusco joined them as a play-by-play voice. He joined us to chat about some memories of his time with the Beast. So without further ado, here he is, Brampton Beast play-by-play voice, Anthony Fusco. All right, we now welcome a very special guest. He was the media coordinator and play-by-play voice of the Brampton Beast. I wish we were doing this under better circumstances, but Anthony Fusco, welcome to Locked On Senators Podcast. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. Thank you, Ross and Brandon. Both you guys, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to have me on today. Uh, Things are great, and I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, we appreciate having you. Unfortunately, the news coming down this week, the Brampton Beast will no longer be a hockey team, which sucks for us. We really enjoyed watching. I know Pilsy's been out to the rink at Brampton uh, before. So uh, how can you take us through what happened? Because they had the team. They had opted out of this season due to the pandemic. At that point, were you still confident things would get back on the rails when things got back to normal? Yeah, I thought things were going to get back to normal. The border was a massive issue for us. And obviously, our uh, the ECHL is primarily East Coast-based. We were the only two Canadian teams at this time. And uh, with the border being closed, that was already one massive hurdle. The second is that Ontario was, and still is to this day, still dealing with COVID. Uh, You know, it's a little bit tough on that side too, because now we were in lockdown, then we opened up a little bit, then back into lockdown. Now things are starting to open again. And uh, there was a lot of uncertainty around there. So we had different days uh, that we had to meet in order to get ourselves ready and fit to play again. 
And once we miss the first one, still some optimism, you know, maybe we're going to be able to be back. Then we missed another one and uh, maybe a little less optimism. And when we missed the third one, I think that was kind of enough. Uh, and the alarm bells maybe started going off in our heads that, you know, the optimism isn't as prevalent anymore that uh, like our president said in the press release, it's a little bit hard to, for a modest hockey team like ours with no fans, no real money coming in from, from tickets or concessions or people in the stands. Uh, it was just too much to sustain. And uh, unfortunately the fold was the end result. Yeah, that's really tough. And I think the the part of the thing that makes it so tough for me with the Brampton Beast is it seems like they were finally starting to pick up some momentum, like before everything got shut down with COVID, not just um, the team on the ice, but the t- team off the ice. Like it seemed like fans were starting to show up. Um, a lot of the media events were gaining popularity. The community was starting to embrace it. I mean, the Beast did a lot of work in the community with schools and youth programs and stuff like that to really embrace it. And it seemed like finally it was becoming a part of the community. And then this all had to happen. And it's, it's just terrible timing, but the world we live in, uh, that's just the way things go. But I want to ask you, when did you start with the Beast? The Beast became a team in 2013, then joined the East Coast Hockey League in 2014. How long were you around, Anthony? Uh, I was around for three seasons. So my first one was uh, 2017-18. And I was there, well, up until uh, a couple days ago. <laughs> Yeah. And hey, you got to see some good players come through Brampton. And I think a lot of people, they kind of uh, throw the East Coast Hockey League aside in their mind because they're like, oh, there's no big prospects down there. No one I'm going to be really interested in. But that's not true at all, especially when it comes to a goaltending scenario, because there's only so many positions available in the crease. And yeah, I got to uh, go to a Beast game. I connected with you a couple of years ago and I got to interview Marcus Hogberg, which was a real treat. That was mm-hmm. back in our early podcast days of Making Sense of the Sens. That was one of our first player interviews we got. So that was great. And you also got to see Joey Decord, who was there very recently. Uh, let's start with Hogberg. What can you tell us about uh, Marcus Hogberg when he was there with the Beast? Uh, yeah, we'll start with Marcus Hogberg. He, he was fantastic. When we first got him in 2017-18, that was my first year, and that was his first year as well. Uh, first time that he was in Canada, North America. So uh, he was just this big kid from Sweden. I think he was 22 at the time, just wide-eyed. Oh, my goodness, what's going on here? And uh, a lot of our guys gravitated towards that. They, they took him right under their wings, and they were able to say, like, you know, come around like this is what's going on in Canada. Let us show you some stuff. And then uh, on the community side of everything, before I get into Hogberg on the ice, wonderful guy, absolutely fantastic. He would go to school visits if we needed him for autographs, post-game skates, uh, didn't matter what, always with a smile on his face. He, he was incredible. And I owe a lot to that because that was part of my job. And sometimes wrangling the players was a little bit difficult, but him never had a single problem. Was, and then on was the English end, his first language? Or like, not first language, but was he kind of fluent at that point in English? I'd say it was broken English. So there were a lot of, uh, <laughs> we had a lot of laughs and smiles trying to, we were filming a Christmas video at one point and we were asking, do you know any Christmas songs? And he would just give you this look like, <laughs> oh boy, like I think I know what he wants from me, but <laughs> you know, um, Swedish is my first language, English I'm still trying to come along with, but you know what, to his credits, that didn't stop him. And he was able to do pretty much anything we asked on the community side and then on the on the ice with us. So we had him 16 games. Uh, the record was 8-7-1 and one at that time with us. And 
I don't think that fully reflects how good he was for us. Some of those eight wins, he completely, and I really do mean completely, stole for us. When he was on in net, uh, he gave teams absolutely nothing. So being able to see him now make the jump up to Ottawa, I know that they're having a little bit of a tougher season right this second, but getting to see him every few nights between the pipes, uh, that's a really cool experience for me, and I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, we're uh, big Hogberg fans in this pod, especially me. I was a big fan of him when he was in Brampton. And yeah, like uh, like we said earlier, uh, you gave me the chance to interview him. And uh, that game that I interviewed him at was a wild one. I forget when it was, but it ended up being, I think it was a 6-5 game with penalty shot included. There was shorthanded goals. Like the East Coast Hockey League, For I would really recommend it for people that like hockey but don't really care about the names and stuff because the on ice entertainment is great it's fast-paced hockey uh the thing i like about it and it's kind of funny to say is there's a lot of mistakes being made but mistakes lead to offensive chances and i think it's a really good place for goalies to learn how to play marcus hogberg joey decord because you can't rely on your defense being defensively sound you can't rely on them getting that second rebound out of the way you're kind of on your own there so what can you tell us about goalies developing like when Marcus Hogberg got there and then he had to deal with some of this chaos that comes from the East coast hockey league. Did you see a big development from when he got there to when he left to go to Belleville? All right, guys, hope you're enjoying our chat with Brampton beast play-by-play Anthony Fusco, but we got to interrupt you for a quick message from our pals over at built bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. 16 amazing flavors, eight chocolate with nut, eight chocolate nut-free flavors. You get a little variety there. All the bars are covered in 100% chocolate. Guys, go check out Built Bar's Twitter page. They do a video of how they make the Built Bars, and the, the bars going through the chocolate fountain is one of the nicest things. And if you like Built Bar, you're going to love watching that. My mouth is watering just thinking about that because they are soft and easy to chew as well. The texture is amazing. It's great. For the health-conscious guy or girl, lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. The bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, but high-protein, high-fiber. You can get so many different flavors that as a Built Bar protein bar expert, I'm going to help you narrow it down. And we're going to head over to the fruit flavor side of things. Let's check out Raspberry Built Bar. The Berry Built Bars are some of my favorites, which surprised me. Usually I don't like the fruity chocolate, but they make it work over at Built Bar. So go try Raspberry Built Bar today. And how are you going to get those Built Bars? Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you get 20% off your first order. Get the mix box, guys. You can't go wrong with any of these flavors. You've got to try them all. And the best way to do that is to go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your first order. I would bet you'd love them. And when I bet on sports, I go to betonline.ag. It's the one place that has us covered, the one place we trust for online wagering. And wow, I cleaned up last night thanks to Brady Kachuk. I had Brady Kachuk at scoring a goal. Thank you. Two points. Thanks a lot, Brady. And the Sens to win the game. It was plus 193 at betonline.ag. So that is how you turn small wagers into the largest of linings in your pocket. And one way to do that, if you're listening to Pillsy's Parlay of the Day at betonline.ag, if you hopped on, you're winning again. I recommended that you split them up 
But why do that when Pilsy's on another heater? Look out, Pilsy. I wish we had been keeping track of each and every Pilsy's parlay because you have to be up a lot of units right now. Yeah, definitely up units. The record may not show, but definitely up some units because we've been hitting on some high odds and that was a nice one. I, I hope some people split that parlay because you would have hit on both of them and that would have been great for you. The Boston Bruins getting a big win in the outdoor game. So Pilsy's parlay of the day is on fire. So we're going to try to recoup some of those early losses. I'm getting back to the three-team parlay, Ross. It almost worked the other time I did it. I got a good feeling about this one. Let's go. Florida Panthers money line up against the Dallas Stars. Minus 119. The Dallas Stars have been brutal lately. They've had a lot of postponed games, all that kind of stuff affecting them. I think the Panthers are going to steamroll them. So we're going to take that money line. Then we're going to mix up the odds here. Get a little boost here. New York Islanders up against the Buffalo Sabres. Take that Islanders puck line. Jack Eichel wants out of Buffalo once again. That's another one where we could put that on a bingo square and you could scratch that every single season. So the the room is not doing so great over in Buffalo. So take the Islanders. They beat them in the past this season. Now, one of my favorites, it's just as juicy as a Boston Bruins money line. It's Tampa Bay Lightning money line at minus 121. So to recap it here, Florida Panthers money line, New York Islanders puck line, and Tampa Bay money line put 10 bucks in to win $77. Let's go. It's a three-team parlay for Pilsy's parlay of the day. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get into the action, and don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now back to our chat with Anthony Fusco. Yeah, completely. It's... Well, when he was with us, first time in North America, first time in the ECHL at that point, and I don't fully know um, how everything was going his in his SHL season back in Sweden at that point, but when he came over here, obviously a transition, and uh, we saw him take a lot of steps on and off the ice and really kind of take the steps that would lead to him becoming the goalie that he is today. But I think the biggest thing was that they wanted to get him over from Sweden bring him to Brampton because Belleville's just down the road and Ottawa's not too much further. So all three teams located in one province really gave Ottawa and uh, Belleville, their kind of scouts or their goalie coaches, that kind of stuff, gave them the opportunity to come down and work with him on off days and uh, work with other players as well. But I think that really, that was the big thing. Let's get him to Brampton. We don't really have a spot in Belleville or Ottawa just yet, but get him in North America get our coaches, get our um, our video people working with him to show him and start really developing him and then get him some games here in North America and see what he can do. And uh, I think he passed everything with flying colors and oh, he's in the NHL now, so he must have done something right. Yeah, and we're hoping there's going to be another graduate soon. We already talked about how there's a hole in the community with the Brampton Beast folding, but there's also a hole in the Sens organization. No longer will a team who loves drafting a goalie every single year have a third place to put them. And that's what happened when Joey Decord turned pro. He also just spent a part of one season. But what could you see? He's obviously a really confident guy. He's been a friend of this show as well. What was your first impression when you saw Dax play a game? Uh, Dax was fantastic. And that that really hits close to home because that was this past season for me. So I got to see Dax live and in person, call a bunch of his games. 
Um, my first impression was confident. He was a confident kid coming out of ASU, and uh, he knew, obviously, at the time that he came to us, he had the one game uh, against Buffalo. Uh, he was great. Uh, Decord, and oh, again, I'll start with the community side, too, because I think that's so, so important that these guys get out and uh, really showcase the community and become parts of it. Another one who I never had an issue with, be the first one to go to schools, hospitals, uh, charities, any kind of pregame, postgame skates, um, interviews, anything. Joey Decord was and remains to this day a true professional. I couldn't ask for anything better. And then on the ice, you know what? He kind of reminded me of Hogberg, where uh, maybe not the aspect of coming over from North America, any of that, but uh, once he finally really settled in with Brampton, he was fantastic. I always felt that whenever Joey Decord was starting, he gave us a chance to win. And he proved me time and time again. He proved me right because he was able to just quiet everything down, especially if it got a little bit chaotic in our, in our own zone. He would quiet everything down, a big save, just enough that, hey, guys, like, I got this. Don't worry about me. Everything's going to be fine. And then when he went up to Belleville, and then he led them on that run because Belleville was phenomenal last season. And he was a big part of that success. I saw the, the grassroots stuff that he started with in Brampton. Now he was comfortable and it translated to Belleville. And I could honestly see him being in Ottawa one day too with all the talent. And uh, he's, got it. he's got everything he needs right here between the eyes. I think he could be something special. Yeah, absolutely. Joey Decord, a cool customer, and he works a lot on his mental uh, part of the game as well. And with kind of the goalie carousel going on in Ottawa this season, it's very likely we're going to see Joey Decord in an NHL game this season, which we're all cheering for, for sure. Now, final question for me, I want to ask more about the team in general. Who was the greatest Brampton Beast player ever? Now, I you would know better than me, but for my money, you got to look towards a guy like Brandon Marino, no? Oh, man, that is a tough one to put me on the spot for because I, I had the chance to see, I think in my mind, I had the chance to see the best Brampton Beast players of all time in my run with the team for three years. Brandon Marino is obviously one of them, uh, former captain. He led our team year after year in points. Uh, he's in our record books. He has a whole bunch of accolades there. Uh, he's definitely, I, I don't know if I could give you just one. I'm going to have to give you the, the Mount Rushmore of the Brampton. That's beat, fair. Basically. So Brandon Marino has got to be up there. Uh, Jordan Henry, who was the captain this past year, uh, all time leader in games played absolutely fantastic guy. So he's up there. Uh, David Ballerani. I'll always have a soft spot for Val because, uh, he set the all time Brampton beast scoring record this season. And I was able to call it along with a whole bunch of other, uh, overtime winners and hat tricks and what have you. So uh, David Valerani gets a spot. And the fourth and final one, I think it's going to be David Pecan because those two worked in conjunction so well together. Uh, just a big bodied power forward. He could do anything you ask, uh, power play, penalty kill, anything at all. So it's got to be, uh, it's got to be Marino, Henry, Val, and Pax. Those are my four. <laughs> Well, we know who's on the Mount Rushmore of their play-by-play, -play, Anthony, and you're definitely <laughs> high on that list. I want to ask, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand -hand with the players you just mentioned. When a team folds like that, what happens next? What, what are you hopeful for for yourself and those players that you just mentioned? Yeah, I'll start with the guys first because they maybe have a little bit of an easier path. Obviously, 
a large part of the appeal of Brampton was playing in front of friends and family. And a lot of guys, uh, we had a lot of Ontario born guys and friends, family, everybody were able to come out and see them. Uh, they're going to land on their feet. A lot of them, uh, I know some of those guys I mentioned are retired now, but all the other guys that we had signed or that had played for us a couple of years ago, those guys are great and they're going to land on their feet. A lot of them are playing with different ECHL teams right now. Some went over to Europe. Uh, some went down a league to play and went to the SPHL. Those guys are all going to land on their feet. They're good guys. They're good prospects. They've been around this game a long time and they're going to be just fine. Uh, now on my side, I'd love to continue my play-by-play -play career somewhere. Uh, I have an eye and ear just about everywhere right this second. I'm really hoping the uh, Ontario clears the OHL to play. I, I might have a lead or two down there. Uh, there might even be a lead with the Ottawa Senators. So I, I don't know how much more I can say to that right this second, but uh, I'm thankful that I've made a lot of good connections over my three years with Brampton, and I'm hoping that uh, something comes up sooner rather than later and I can get right behind the mic. Hey, well, we're, we're cheering for you for sure, Anthony. And if uh, you ever need a good word sent into any teams, uh, you can you can count on us to give you a good word there. And now I know I said final question, but I just want to kind of open it up for you. Uh, last last thing here. What if is there anything you'd want to say to to people who went to Brampton Beast games, to the the community, the the interns there, the people working there? Like, I'll just kind of give you an open floor for one kind of last message about the Brampton Beast. <laughs> No, that's, uh, that's awesome. And we, we actually, a couple of days ago, just had uh, kind of a farewell wrap-up call with people that I started with, even people predating me, uh, all the way to the current staff. There were probably 50-some-odd of us all there, from players to coaches to staff. And it, it's an experience that I was able to do a lot for the Beast. When I first got in there to all the way now, I, I felt like I really hit my stride. I was able to do so many different things, become this well-rounded person. Uh, I got a different experience than a lot of the staff because I was traveling on the road as well. And I was able to interact with the players, the coaching staff, and you really become a family. And uh, that was the atmosphere that we tried to promote because of all the games, the Fridays, the Saturdays, the Sundays, the long bus rides, you're with those people day in, day out. You see them more than you see your own families at some points during the season. And that is your family. So I'm going to miss my family on that side. But I wouldn't trade this beast experience for the entire world. Everything was incredible. It helped me become the person I am today. And I can't wait to see what's next and use that experience to be the absolute best that I can be. Well, what an experience it was as well. I know we all read Scott Wheeler's article in The Athletic when he traveled on a road trip with you guys. And uh, it's not, not necessarily a glamorous life, but it just shows the love of the game and Frankly, that runs in your blood. So we're looking forward to seeing where you land. And if it's with the Sens, you know you're going to be back on this show sooner than later. Anthony Fusco, thank you very much for joining us today. Be well, man. We'll do this again soon. Ross, Brandon, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Can't wait to be back. Stick taps to Anthony for joining us. He's good people. He's going to land on his feet. I am sure of that. Pilsy, before we get to the Chris Neal number debate, which was a great off day interaction on Twitter at Send Central, we have a today in Sense history. And I'm throwing this to you cold because it just came up on my feed. And no doubt Chris Neal was the, the man who started this whole thing. It's the 14 year anniversary of the brawl in Buffalo, one of the most famous line brawls of all time. Now, the Sens have been a part of a few 
over the years, right? There's the mayhem in Philadelphia in 04. But for my money, it was this one in 2007 because you had an enforcer in Andrew Peters fight a goalie in Ray Emery and Razor stood his ground. How unreal was that after Emery had an absolute beatdown of Marty Biron? Yeah, I can't believe I didn't bring this up because we in uh, the pandemic off season, which lasted hundreds of days, we got into some yeah, we got into some fun topics like this. And this was my favorite Sens game of all time because Ross, you're missing part of it too. Not only did uh, did Ray Emery fight Peters, that was coming off a fight with Marty Biron directly after. So the the fights were just left, right, and center, and. You could put that gif of uh, Razor smiling when Peters comes over to him after is just so great. He's like, I'll take another one. Let's go. So that is one of the most exciting Sens game in history because the the rivalry between the Sens and Sabres back then was hot. Yep. They had already met in the playoffs the year before. Buffalo won that one. They would meet later this year in 07, and the Sens would win that series in the conference finals. You might remember a specific goal from Daniel Alfredson in game five of that series, but Chris Neal started this whole thing with an enormous dirty, but never suspended. Chris Neal never suspended, never, not once, but he got Drury in a pretty vulnerable position. Drew Stafford grabs him, gets his first NHL fight as Drury kind of tries to stand up. So then next shift, Ottawa puts out just a normal line. Spezza, Heatley with Mike Comrie. Thank God they had Chris Phillips on the back end for a little size here because Buffalo answered with the goon squad. They had not only Andrew Peters out there, who was just a complete goon. They had one of the dirtiest players in NHL history, Patrick Coletta, and then Andrew Mayer, a big forward as well. And then... All hell broke loose. Like you have to Google it. We'll we'll tweet it out the YouTube clip. But all in all, just an unreal night. One of the loudest you've ever seen the building. And maybe the best part was the Brian Murray, Lindy Ruff back and forth on the bench, where Brian Murray's probably yelling over to Lindy Ruff, hey, you know who got you your first job in the National Hockey League? Rob Ray helplessly standing in between the benches as a broadcaster where he was a fighter for both of these teams. You knew that he just wanted to get involved. So that, that was just a wild night in Buffalo. Yeah, that was absolutely a wild night. And, uh, Definitely recommend if you didn't see that game, or even if you did, just go rewatch it for some laughs because that is some that is some old time hockey. We'll put that in that category for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. You just love when when games get out of hand. It's it's entertainment after all, and there absolutely uh, was that aspect of it. How about Chris Phillips being on the ice for all three brawls in Sens history? The Flyers won this one and the Montreal line brawl in the 2013 playoffs. Chris Phillips, just an instigator. That guy just always getting under people's skin. Now, Chris Phillips has his number four retired, maybe not for those line brawls, but because of his overall body of work, not only on the ice, but in the community. And it's the perfect question, because since you're retiring, not only the greatest players in in franchise history in terms of on-ice impact, But when they retired Chris Phillips' number, now have your opinion on it for sure. But once you do that, you open the door to other lifelong senators. And for Chris Neal to have the impact over a 16-year span, he really ignited that Battle of Ontario. 
He was a part of the 2017 run, had that memorable moment with Tanner Glass. So the longevity to play the role that Chris Neal played, over a 1,000 games with the same team, is he deserving of having his number retired? Now, I, I can see both sides of this one because are you just going to retire every like third, fourth line guy? He didn't have that same impact. But where do you stand on the whole Chris Neal number retirement debate? This is a tough one. I, I'm like some days I'm on one side of the fence and then some days I'm on the other side of the fence. But I think, and we were talking about it off air, it, you kind of hit the nail on the hammer is as soon as you put Chris Phillips as a retired number, you kind of got to lump Chris Neal in there too. Like very similar uh, storylines, right? Drafted by the Sens, only team they played for, ton of games. Uh, they were a big part of that winning culture. They each brought their own element of the game to the Sens team, and they were relied upon time in and time in, and they got the job done. And especially Chris Neal got the job done. Never suspended is a massive milestone for a guy that has... 2,522 penalty minutes to never cross the line is insane. I think since Chris Phillips' number is retired, you got to retire Chris Neal. I think if they would have ring of honored Chris Phillips, then you put Chris Neal there, but they both deserve the retirement, I would say. Get this. According to HockeyFights.com, Chris Neal, 176 NHL fights, all for the Ottawa Senators. That is a monster number. Yeah, this guy, this guy, he put his blood, sweat, and tears into that uniform. So I've got nothing but respect for Chris Neal. So I, I would love to watch a ceremony where he gets number 25 into the rafters. So I, I'm all for it. Now, Chris Neal already had nine preseason fights under his belt before making his NHL regular season debut. And in his first ever fight, he fought one of the toughest customers ever, Gino Ojek with the Montreal Canadiens. And that was just a sign of things to come. But I think when you look at what Chris Neal also brought in the community, I don't think that should be understated as well. And the fact that he's still involved with the organization, I see both sides. Now, it was John Mosco that pointed this out to us on Twitter and gave us the idea. He said he and his friends were having a, a heated debate about whether or not Chris Neal should have his number in the rafter. So we put it out on Twitter. The poll is now closed, but Pillsy, get this. 55-45 on almost 700 votes, just showing you how close this debate is. And I don't think anyone could be mad either way, right? Like whether or not they decide to do it, the fact that it's that close and it's Josh Mosco who, uh, who wrote it to us. Sorry, I think I mixed up the name there, but I just think that this is one of those fun debates for a rainy day. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Now, wh what was the side that won that hit 54%? It was no. No. But so ring of honor. But not only that, there were 56 replies, and a lot of them said this is exactly what the Ring of Honor is for. And right now, it's only Brian Murray in there. Now, I would have said that's a perfect spot for Chris Phillips, but it's just the, the fact that they opened the door there, it just makes, uh, makes it a little more difficult. But I do think that Ring of Honor is the perfect way to look back and honor the, the Chris Neal era in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think you gotta you gotta put him on that same pedestal as Chris Phillips. So I th I think they are gonna retire his number, but I think the next debate we should really be having is who's gonna be the next Ring of Honor guy, and it's gotta be Andy. No, has to be Craig Anderson. There's yeah. Ooh, no also question. shout out got a win with the Capitals last night. 
Yeah, yeah. I was really happy to see that for Andy. No question, he goes in the ring of honor. I'm curious to get Ian Mendez's take. We'll ask him later in the week what his thoughts are on number 25. But who's going to wear number 25 pills? You think somebody's going to come into Ottawa and wear it? Well, I don't know. Like, you get this new crop of uh, young kids. Like, some of these kids born in 2002, 2003, they don't really, they don't know the Chris Neal era, right? So maybe wow. they're just they're just coming in and, and uh, that's been their number. But I would like to see it retired. Yeah, but that's where the training staff comes in. They're just like, yeah, Yo, definitely. That's, <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's Neal's number. Don't even think about it. But then on the other hand, Jason Spezza left and like what one year later, uh, Derek Broussard's like, yeah, no, all good. I'll take it. And then it just goes back into rotation, but it's that first guy who like, who's going to be the first guy to put on number 25. That's kind of a a fun background storyline as the Sens season rolls on with another matchup against the Montreal Canadians before turning their attention almost solely to the Calgary flames who are going through quite the internal what would you call it? There's some flames internally in Calgary because something's got to give their terrible play of late and even Matthew Kachuk taking some heat from the media. So Ottawa has five of six coming up with them with one game in the between in Montreal. So I guess they'll drive to Montreal, play a game, and then fly to Calgary for the final two games of that. That five of six will be in Calgary when they head back on the road. But the Senators on home ice for four more games And we'll be back tomorrow to tee that game up and get you set for the rest of the week. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Anthony Fusco. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.